Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Sit down. <laughs> so this is your first Sunday in church. Where were you last Sunday? Oh, busted. It's one thing to miss a Sunday. It's another thing to get out in front of everyone and actually say, <laughs> hey, my name's Dave, great to be here, and um, your pastors are having a great holiday, it's good, isn't it? Yeah. They're going to come back refreshed and pumped and all that, and um, late last year, um, uh, oh, Nate um, contacted me, he sent me, tried ringing me, and I'm so good at answering my phone that I, he had to SMS me. Um, so he asked me to come here, I thought that was amazing, then I thought about it, so every single pastor in Perth is having holidays in January, I reckon he just went down the list and you guys are stuck with me today, but, and I know lots of people are on holidays, but you know what, they miss out, and seeing that we are in church, I reckon we should just have church open up the Bible and see what God would say, um, set an atmosphere, lean into God, and um, it's going to be really good. Um, I lead a church in Armandale, so um, it's great to be here, I brought my senior pastor along. Because uh, you guys might say, Dave, that was amazing, but driving Phil back, um, he'll actually say, Dave, that sucked. Um, but um, Phil was my children's church pastor, and he was my senior pastor when I was um, worshipping and serving at Riverview Church, so it's great to have him here as well. I'm going to pray, and we're going to get into it, and um, we're going to be in John chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, um, you can get that ready as I pray. If you don't have your Bible, this scripture will be up on the screen, and we'll get there in a minute. So, Father, we thank you for 2019. I wonder what you'll do. I wonder what you could possibly do. I wonder what you want to do. I pray that you would undull our ears this year, that we would hear, that we would hear clearly, Lord. Father, I pray that this would not be a year like last year, but it will be new. In Genesis, you said, Lord, that you set the sun and moon in place, not for light, because you were at the beginning, said, let there be light, but you put these things in place to mark the seasons because you ordained the seasons. And as we enter into a new season, may we be able to appreciate and acknowledge that you're the one who begins and ends and then begins another season. And if we're in a new season, which is marked by our calendar, which is marked with our rotation around the sun, well, that we would be prepared and we'd be ready for that, Lord. Father, I pray that you would speak today in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. So you guys love studying the Bible. I know that from Nate and Beck. Um, they, they are great teachers, and um, I really wanted to bring you just this great teaching thing, because I thought that would, that would impress you, um, you know, because you guys don't know me. Um, if you want to get to know me, feel free to Facebook stalk me. Um, all you'll find is things about my family. Um, but I've got a very simple message, and it's something that um, I feel, even personally, I'm going to go back and um, I'm going to make sure I, I, I learn and relearn what we're going to learn today. Um, from John chapter 2 because I think sometimes there's pressure in a new year to actually add new things and I think a lot of times God's in a place where he says no I just want to remind you of some old things and as we get reminded of the old truths and of all things we are renewed with the, with, with the joy and spirit and we actually move forward into it so that's where we're going to go but I was thinking about um, heading into 2019 and a really fast-paced world I mean this world is crazy um, I'm an 80s kid, so I grew up in the 80s, so I, I, I grew up where we could actually just go out and we had a creek down the road, so we would just get a honky nut and my brother and I would just ditch honky nuts at each other. And I thought, man, life is so much simpler when you just went out with your brother and you just simply wanted to kill him with honky nuts. Um, 
But these days, I mean, we're so progressive now, we're so fast-paced now, and um, it seems like we're this global community, and we, uh, and there's a lot of strengths with it. I mean, technology's fantastic. I mean, my first computer was this hunk of junk, but now I've got more power in this phone than I did in my computer. But I was thinking that with the strengths that have come with um, this um, new world that we're now in, um, we've also lost a couple of things in the world. I think I've lost a couple of things. Um, I think it was last year, I had to, um, at, at the end of the year, I like to write Christmas cards to everyone in the church. Man, I can't even write anymore because I'm used to typing. Um, I remember doing exams, for hours you'd write. I can't do that anymore. I've lost the art of actually writing and using a pen. I was in a cafe um, a couple of um, weeks ago, and I've seen this quite often. You see this beautiful guy, and you see this beautiful girl. And I'm reminded that at some stage back in the future, I too used to be beautiful. And <laughs> but I'm looking at these guys, and, and they're over there. Now, obviously, they're in a relationship and all that, and, and they're not even talking to each other because I'm out with my wife, and I've got young kids. So when we're out, we talk. Because when we're home, we just talk to the kids. So we're over there, we're talking, we're holding hands. Because, oh my goodness. Anyone with young kids? How good is it when you can hold your wife's hand? That is incredible. <laughs> you know? So we're over there, and I'm watching these guys, and I'm thinking, oh, far out, I reckon, as a society, we may have lost the art of actually having a conversation. Because they're over there, and they're like looking at this. I'm thinking, if I was, with, if I was dating, and if I was with a gorgeous young girl, I wouldn't be looking at this. I'd be do using everything I have, which isn't much, to actually make sure I get a second date. Um, but we seem to have lost the art of conversation, the ability to actually get to know someone, you know, not truly know someone. And, and as a result, we have this world that sort of looks at infatuation and thinks infatuation is love because we're drawn by appearance instead of actually looking at someone and actually becoming intimate with someone. We've, we've actually twisted and perverted the definition of intimacy because we just need to learn to the art of having conversation, the art of listening. I reckon last year became evident that there was this, um, this tone around Australia where we kind of feel like we're, we're a bit disappointed in, in a couple of institutions. We're disappointed with government. We're disappointed with a lot of things. And I think there's a deeper issue which is at stake in that we've actually lost the art of having a debate. To actually take an idea, to talk about an idea, to lift up an idea and even interrogate an idea. To actually ask, is that idea okay? Because instead of actually having debates, we tend to have fights. I actually read in a, a book a couple of years ago, it says that whenever we lose the ability to debate, all we're left with is fighting. And unfortunately, that creeps into the church as well. We need to actually have the ability to debate and look at ideas. And, and that, this is how we got here in the first place in church history, by the way. We, we debated and we looked at things and, and we called things out. Um, I think we've done that. Last year, um, I followed the West Coast Eagles. Anyone else here? You know? i got a couple of friends. I only counted four. I'm going to have to talk to um, Nate about that. That's just, un that's just ungodly. You know, eagles are in the Bible, <laughs> just so you know. Um, but, but I heard like someone saying last year, and um, some of my friends are avid Fremantle Dockers supporters, and um, they were saying, you know, well, we reckon the Fremantle Dockers, they've lost the art of being able to kick a football. And I said, that's not right. They never had the art. They never knew how to do it. <laughs> But we live in this world where um, we've certainly gained some things and we've kind of lost some things. So today I want to talk about um, something um, which is called the art of secrecy. And um, it may not sound too sexy in church, but it's something that's been part of our heritage. It's something that is displayed, it's up front in um, John chapter 2. And we're going to look at this story. And um, we find that in this story in John chapter 2, that this is the first time that Jesus actually shows us something of God. 
This is the miracle of turning water into wine. I mean, who would love Jesus do that miracle today? That'd be awesome. I'd do a little tweak. I'd say, can you turn water into coffee? That'd be awesome. Without the beans. Um, but we look at this first story, or we look at this first sign of Jesus, and, and we need to acknowledge and appreciate that whenever Jesus says something, whenever Jesus does something, it's informative, fantastic, but it's also instructional. You know, in John 20, 20, the disciples are over there and, and Jesus actually says to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. Blows on them, the Holy Spirit, and sends them on their way. Let's us know that in the same way that the Father sent Jesus, Jesus now sends the church, which is actually good for us to know, isn't it? It's good to know that the church is actually sent and the church isn't stuck. Did you know that? Have you ever seen or heard of a stuck church? Let's you know that that's actually not ordinary, that's not common, that we as the local church of Jesus Christ here in Kensington, that we are sent by God, that we're supposed to be on the cutting edge. You know that we as Christians are the people on earth and we are the custodians of this sacred space, this space where there is a thin veil between heaven and earth and we are custodians of that sacred space where we can literally actually see through that thin veil and heaven and earth comes. Why in the world did Jesus say, thy kingdom come, pray this way, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven he wasn't talking about after Armageddon. He was talking about now. How amazing is that opportunity for us as a church? It's good for us to know. So the story we're looking at, it's challenging. It's really challenging in 2019. Because the kingdom act that Jesus does comes by an avenue that is fast becoming unfamiliar in a social media obsessed, clickbait and self-promoting modern world the art of secrecy. This is the first miracle of Jesus. John doesn't use the word miracles, he uses the word signs, if you study John. So we're going to um, have a look at it, and I'm praying that it's going to be transformative for all of us. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at John chapter 2. I'm going to read from verse 1 to 12. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for the Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out, take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine, but you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. After the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples. This is a pretty familiar story. I mean, you don't even have to be a Christian to know Jesus turned water into wine. I mean, this is one of those iconic stories that all of the world knows. So I don't need to go through too much of it, but let's go to the very end, which I find interesting. Verse 11 says this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed him. That's an interesting word, glory. It literally means that this is the first time that Jesus uncloaks 
to actually show the, show the world something of God. The glory is the weight of God. It's interesting to know that in this setting, in the situation, that the servants, they saw a sign, but the disciples, they saw the glory of God. It's really interesting to know. It makes me wonder, why in the world would Jesus use this situation, this incident, to be the first time where he actually shows, uncloaks, shows the world some of his glory, some of the weight of God. Seems a little bit strange to me. I mean, this story isn't like, it's not like Jesus healing the sick. It's not like Jesus like casting out um, demons or anything. It's not even Jesus like the lepers. The lepers are cast out. They're, they're actually cut off from community. It's not like a healing that brings them and restores community. Seems a little bit odd that Jesus would use this kind of setting to be the first time he does a sign, the first time he does a mighty deed, the first time he does a miracle to actually display, to show off some of God's glory. First time to throw his weight around a little bit. A strange time. It's an odd situation. Weddings in the ancient um, world, they were incredibly, incredibly important. Incredibly important. Um, weddings today are incredibly important, but I've come to learn that the wedding today is more about the bride than it is about the groom. Is that right? That, at least that's when I got married. It was all about Andrea. <laughs> it was almost like I was just like there just to make the photos look good. But... Um, which I tried to do, but look at me. I mean, seriously. <laughs> Thank goodness that photographers know how to use Photoshop. Um, they were incredibly important. A successful event would have brought honour to the groom, to his family, and to the village. But running out of wine, that's one of those things that you don't want to do. Running out of wine, that actually brings dishonour um, to the family. It brings dishonour to the groom. It brings dishonour. It's, it's something that, 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 that is not very good. So this very first miracle is done for an odd reason, I think. There is this oncoming freight train of shame that is about to hit this groomsman. And for some reason, I don't know why, for some reason, Jesus decides that the very first kingdom act which I'm going to do, the very first thing which I'm going to do is I'm actually going to stand in the gap between this freight train, between this avalanche of oncoming shame that's about to hit this guy and this guy. Seems a bit strange to me. You know what? And I think that the reason why Jesus did that is actually really informative but also really comforting for me because we could put on our Christian mask, we can come here, but I know something about you and you should know something about me. Shame is something that hits every single heart isn't it? I mean, I know, surely. I mean, you guys look pretty nice and righteous right here today. But I reckon somewhere di hidden away, there's got to be something. I have no idea why I have the microphone every single week because I know that there are things in my life that I'm not happy about. I'm certainly not proud about. There are things in my life that try to terrorize me and, and try to paralyze me all the time. This issue of shame is not something that has any prejudice. It doesn't. It actually hits, it confronts, it comes to every single person. It doesn't matter what race you're from. It doesn't matter what generation you're in. It doesn't matter. And for some reason, for the very first time, Jesus decides to uncloak, to show something of God's nature and God's character and actually coming and actually confronting and actually putting a halt to shame. That's got to be really encouraging for people here today and myself. 
lets me know that even though shame does come knocking on my door and there are literally people across the road. Did you know that? Literally, I could walk across the road and there are humans living there. Right, literally across the road. I do not have to go far, but I know there is something that actually is resonant in my heart and their heart, even if they aren't a believer in Jesus, there is this issue of shame. And it's really instructional to know that the very first thing that Jesus does, he actually addresses an issue of shame. And he addresses an issue of shame. And I get it. This is John. John is so theologically rich. It is. It is. You know how John says, I'm the disciple who Jesus loves? You know, we, we, we poke fun at him, but there's actually a really good reason for that because his function was very different to the other disciples. Peter was the first, he was the head. You know what, Mark comes from Peter and all that. But, but when it comes to John, John's job was to interpret. John's job was to exegete Jesus to the world, to actually translate Jesus to the world in a much better way. So when John actually writes us here, he's actually trying to exegete or interpret or actually try to translate the nature of God in this first miracle to us. He's really trying to tell us something. Really trying to tell us something. Really, so, and, and it's something of shame. So much theology, but if you helicopter up and see the situation at hand, there is this groomsman about to start his marriage, and he doesn't even know the wine's run out. <laughs> he doesn't even know. There is a pending situation about to crush him. And before that even comes near, Jesus steps into the gap. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. That's got to be instructional for us. It's pretty cool. Anthropologist Ruth Benedict um, made this distinction between a guilt culture and a shame culture, which I thought was very helpful. Um, she said, in a guilt culture, you know that you are bad or good by what your conscience feels. But in a shame culture... You know you are good or bad by what your community says about you, by whether it honours or excludes you. I wonder what kind of culture we're in in Australia, if you think about it. It must mean there are some really big opportunities for the local church. If we live in a culture that's heading this way, and we're actually supposed to be counterculture, I reckon sometimes as the church we say we're counterculture, but we actually turn around and we run in the same culture. You know what I said about before about actually interrogating ideas and having debate? I reckon we need to do a little bit more of that in the church in Perth and Western Australia. But there must be some amazing opportunities if we're actually in that culture where we can actually be like Jesus and stand in the gap. That's what this thing is telling us. And in this story, <coughs> there's this shame that's about to fall on this man. And this is not the way you want to start a marriage, especially in that culture. Now, this guy... Um, a year earlier, this guy was engaged to this girl, okay? They were betrothed. And for a whole year, he disappears. And you might wonder, why has this guy disappeared for an entire year, 365 days? Imagine that. You get on your knee, you propose, say, baby, I love you. And somehow, you hear those words, yes, I accept, I will marry you. And then the very next day, you disappear for an entire year. This is part of their culture. So what the groom is doing for an entire year, he is going away to prepare. He's preparing a house. He's preparing a home. He's making sure he's got his finances in, sort of, in order. And then he comes back after a year and just to show that he's ready to be married, because back in that culture, the man actually had to prove himself, unlike a little bit of stuff that happens today where sometimes we give ourselves to any Tom, Dick, and Harry. Did you know that? Ladies, did you know you can actually look for a man and say, man, you need to earn my hand? You know, seriously, if you want to put a ring on my finger, I want to see something. You want to be married? Okay, you got a job? Anyway, 
I'm getting old now, so I can say this stuff. <laughs> but he's coming back, and this wedding celebration, this wedding feast is supposed to be this exclamation mark saying, yeah, I've now proven myself that I can take this wife and I can make a life. It's supposed to prove something. This is not how you want to start your marriage. When the whole point of the feast is proving yourself. And it's not like, you know, today, like, like if you want to sort of cut yourself off from community, I can just unfriend you from Facebook. You know, they can't do that. Cana has about 24 to 36 people, okay? That's a small amount. Nearby to Cana is Nazareth, where Jesus comes from. Nazareth has 500 people. We're talking about a small community. If you do a big stuff up, it's going to be very hard to kind of like sort of, you can't unfriend someone, you can't unfollow someone, you are stuck. You are known. Okay? This is not a good way to start a wedding. This is not a good way to start a marriage. Shame is racing towards this groomsman and he is unaware. He's completely unaware of it. Verse 3 says, the wine supply ran out. Crazy. Dude, your job is to plan this wedding feast. You've had 365 days. Why did you not order enough wine? Oh, my goodness. So Jesus' mother told him they have no more wine. Hopefully, by now, we can understand that this isn't some small issue. This is a big issue. This is a a catastrophe. Verse 4. I love Jesus. Dear woman, that's not our problem. Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever. He says, you know, I love Jesus because Jesus has this amazing ability not to let go of his ultimate mission. Because he was right. His time had not yet come. His time was dying on the cross and being resurrected and ascending. That's his time. You know, all of these signs in John are pointing to that. You know, they are signposts. But, but the beautiful thing about Jesus is that he has this ability to hold on to the ultimate, but at the same time stepping into the immediate. And sometimes we lose that. Because sometimes we step into immediate things and we lose our sight on the ultimate stuff, don't we? And then other times we've got our mind so fixated on the ultimate, I need to do this, do this, do this. And we simply walk past the immediate needs of other people. But Jesus has this ability to actually hold on to both. He's really cool that way. What I really find amazing is the way that this miracle takes place. And it's really emphasized in verse 9. So in verse 9, when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, get this, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. If this sign, if this miracle was actually just about getting more wine, that verse would not be there. Because it makes no sense. It wouldn't be there. See, John's actually really trying to tell us something here. He's emphasizing something. Not knowing where it had come from in this juxtaposition, the master ceremonies, not knowing where it came from, but the servants. But of course the servants knew. There was something that's happening here which John's actually really trying to to tell us. He deliberately tells us this. In order for this miracle to happen, in order for this sign to happen, secrecy was paramount. That's what John's telling us. And it makes sense. You've got shame about to come. 
freight train, about to crush this guy who's about to start his marriage. About to crush him. The miracle is not about getting more wine. It's about, about diverting shame. And in order for Jesus to stand in the gap and to actually do a U-turn with this freight train, the way that that happened and the way that that happens now is through secrecy. The art of secrecy. Do you see that in verse 9? The master ceremonies didn't know where he came from. But of course the servants knew. Of course the servants knew. Of course they did. I reckon doing things in secret seems to be a lost art. And by observation only, I mean, I'm a senior pastor, so I need to like sort of put up my hand here. Before being a senior pastor, I worked for 11 years at Riverview. And, you know, so I've got to put up my hand and, and sort of say, I, 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 I tend to do this as well. But by observation, what I see is that the art of secrecy seems to be losing traction in the church as well. I don't know about you, but this is just me. If I do something good, you know, I want to display it. I want to market it. You know, I want to do that. There's something inside of me that wants to do that. I don't know about you, that's just me, you know. <laughs> that's just me. But we display, we post, we market our achievements to the world. Yet Jesus' very first miracle was done in secret because he was addressing a very real, transcendent issue that is at stake at this wedding, putting a halt to shame. And if you're familiar with the Bible, shame is a theme that seems to run throughout, from Genesis through to Revelation. This issue of shame. Jesus is over there and for some reason he takes a side trip and he goes into Samaria and he's sitting on a well and he's waiting for this woman from Samaria to come out. It's, it's midday, the sun is just beating down and before this woman says anything, before Jesus says anything, you already know, if you, if you know anything of the culture, that there is something wrong with this picture. There is shame that has made this woman come out in the heat of the day when every other woman came to get well, um, water at the beginning of the day. You know there's something. There is a behavior that has been altered, that's been shifted, that's been twisted because of shame. We know that before one word is said. You know, we know that. What about David? <laughs> at the time when kings go out to war, where is David? Oh, I'm going to stay home. He goes on the rooftop. He has a look around. He goes, mm, mm, mm. oh, she looked good. She looked good. Who is she? Oh, that's someone else's wife. Mm, yeah, she looked good though. Are you sure she's someone else's wife? Yeah, she's someone, someone else's wife. She can't be someone else's wife. King, someone else's wife. Oh, bring her over anyway. Sleeps with a, the wife of a, another man. Wife gets pregnant. All sorts of stuff comes. David tries to cover himself. It just escalates to the point where he literally kills another man. King David, man after God's own heart. Wow. Shame can twist him, can pervert him, and even make him do some really ghastly things. Can't it? You know? Adam and Eve at the beginning. They sinned. What a mega stuff up. Seriously. Thank you very much. They sin. There's shame. There's condemnation. They know they've done bad. The Lord comes. Adam, where are you? Could you imagine it? Imagine this. For the very first time in your existence, instead of running to your father, your heavenly father, you are hiding 
Could you imagine what that would have felt like for the very first time when every other time your inclination was to run? My kids run to me. For the very first time, it's not to run, it's to run away. This is something from Genesis all the way through. It hits every single heart. It's insidious. It hits every heart. Shame, it shouts, it accuses, it terrorizes, doesn't it? It terrorizes. It terrorizes us. It demands we hide. It it causes us to lash out, to protect ourselves. It causes us to deceive other people. And it builds a prison of isolation around us. Maybe that's why Jesus' first miracle was actually addressing this issue that touches every heart. Sometimes I think we're crazy as Christians because we want the big and all that, you know. We want the, whoo. And Jesus' very first miracle is done in secret. Because he's addressing this issue, this issue of shame. The thing I love about Jesus is that he doesn't just address shame. He actually goes, man, he goes far out. He, he, he goes over and above. He does much more. And there's actually a climax to this story, which is in, um, from verse 9 to 10. So Jesus, I'll read it and then we'll, we'll actually outlay what it is. Verse 9, when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone's had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you've kept the best until now. Jesus is awesome. And as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. This has got to be kind of awesome for us as well. So Jesus, he stands in the gap, right? Shame is diverted, gone. And for some reason, this, this thing happens. And you could just picture Jesus just sitting on the side and watching this happen. Master ceremonies, calls his groomsmen over. The same groomsmen that had 365 years, no, 365 days to actually order enough wine, all right? 365 years, there'll be no excuse. <laughs> Jesus may not have stepped in. But anyway, 365 days. So, 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 so instead of actually getting ridiculed and getting reprimanded, this is what the master of ceremonies said, I have never seen anything like this. This is amazing. In fact, everyone's going to know all about this. Usually, what will people do, because they're a little bit cheap, they actually give the best. And then when people get a bit drunk, they can give it the worst, the worst, the worst, the worst. And by the end, you might even just give them water. But for some reason, your hospitality has exceeded anyone else's hospitality I've ever seen or ever heard of. Because instead of bringing out the best first, the first was pretty good, but you're bringing out even better one. Now, for some reason, this shame turns into honor. Publicly, honor. Somewhere, it turns into honor. If you want to talk about signs... Well, this is a big one, isn't it? And, and look at Jesus. I mean, I, seriously, if I was Jesus, I would have been sitting there. I'd be going, look at this guy. How in the world is he ever going to learn if people just keep covering his backside, you know? That's just me. I mean, he didn't prepare. He wasn't ready. You know, he wants to be married and he can't even order enough. Well, not Jesus. We look at people and we say, shame on you. Not Jesus. He doesn't say it. No, no, no. G- G- Jesus actually steps in the gap, and this is what he does. I say, okay, well, you fire out. You got yourself in a bit of a situation here. I'm going to step in, and the outcome is public praise, public honor. And Jesus seems to be like sitting back and being very happy with that. That's pretty cool, isn't it? 
Could you imagine if we as the body of Christ just took the first sign, the first miracle, just the first one, and we engrafted that and embodied that to such a place and we took that out into the world. Do not tell me the world does not want to hear that or experience tap that or touch that. The ability to hold on to the ultimate, step into the immediate. No, dude, man, there, there, there's a freight train. There's some stuff that's happening right now. I know you got shown. And the reason, in, in fact, man, I, I can see that you're acting up. You're like, you're acting crazy right now. And I know why you're acting crazy. You, you don't want to act crazy, but, but this thing of shame, you, there's stuff in your life. But, but how about if we allow the grace of Jesus to actually touch that? This is what it's going to mean for us as a church, though. We may have to like sort of step back from making that so public. Have you noticed the last couple of years that there's just this trend in churches? Everything's public. And there are some great things with it, but we need to actually apply wisdom with that. If, let me say something, I'm going to say it for me as a pastor. If our agenda is to generally touch the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, as opposed to just lifting up our own ministry. I'm saying that to me, as a senior pastor of New Spring Church. Okay? This is what Jesus said. The kingdom of God is like a farmer who went and sowed a seed. What Jesus is saying is that the kingdom of God is sown. The problem with the human heart is that we love harvest. So my paradigm, God's been challenging me just personally, if I can just be open and honest, we've known each other for years. Um, this is what God's been dealing with me over the last couple of years as a pastor. He said, but if we could somehow be as passionate about sowing seed as we are about harvest, we might get the job done. Because at the end of the day, who really gives a stuff about where the harvest goes because all glory goes to him, Right? And sometimes we can think, oh, man, we've got this great harvest. New Spring Church, people coming all the time, and, and we're blessed. The people are coming, like, wow, look at this. And I'm going to be mistaken if I think that, wait a minute, I'm not responsible. Someone else in hiddenness sowed that seed. But this is what Jesus said. This is also what Jesus said in um, Matthew chapter 6. See, see, this activity, this, this way, this avenue of Jesus, this is not out of the ordinary. This seems to be a constant thing. He says in Matthew chapter 6 from verse 4, says, Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and the street to call attention to the acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they've received the reward um, they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private. And your father who sees everything will reward you. I think there seems to be this, you know what I said before? I, I, like for, for, for me, it's like, I don't, I, I don't, I don't necessarily think that 2019 is about adding something new. I think it's about reminding myself about some old truths. It's about reminding myself about a theme that's threaded throughout. 
It's about reminding me about this, this upside-down kingdom where we live in this world that wants to go like this, 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 this. Yeah, the kingdom of God seems to be upside-down, but if it is the kingdom of God, maybe we are the ones who are upside-down and His kingdom is actually the right way up and we're supposed to be doing a lot of our stuff in secret. A lot of our stuff in secret. For the audience of one. For the audience of one, you see. For the audience. And the ironic thing is that the Father sees that. And he honors that. And he rewards that. The art of secrecy. I think it's interesting in this story that some people have some different roles. Mary's role was to identify the problem. Jesus, he was the miracle worker. I can't do any miracles, got to tell you. I'm not Jesus. But then there are the servants. The servants who are the hands of Jesus, the hands through which the miracle happens. The master of ceremonies, not knowing where this wine came from, though, of course, the servants knew. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus does the miracle. There's a world in need. They may not know how this instance happened, how this occurrence happened, but the servants, the servants, that would be us, by the way. But of course, the servants know. It's the art of secrecy. The art of secrecy. So as we begin 2019, I have no doubt that there is going to be some amazing things done in and through your life and in and through this church. Walked in here, came to the prayer meeting. Um, beautiful presence of God. Worship team, amazing and all that. You know, you can't fake the presence of God. You can't fake the anointing. You've got some amazing ministers here as well, I can, I can just hear some guys praying and like, my goodness, what's your name? Sorry? Andre. Mate, when you pray, a beautiful, beautiful, familiar grace on you. Familiar to me. You don't know me, but familiar to me. It was like, dude, that is a man of God. That's a man who loves scripture. That's a minister of the gospel. Over here, amazing, amazing, amazing guys. On the keys, what's your name? Joanna. Presence of God all over you. You can't fake it. The anointing, you either have it or you, you can't buy it. You either have it or you don't. There's incredible gifting in this church. What a placement. You probably didn't think you'd be right here in Kensington, but look around you. You've literally got people across the road. Literally across the road. So God's going to do some amazing things. Amazing things in your life. And it's not necessarily adding new things. It's about reminding us of some old things. And one of those things that's become so unfamiliar is what I want to leave you with today, is to consider and reconsider and to learn and to relearn the art of secrecy in the kingdom acts of taking the good news to a hurting and dying world. Okay, let's pray. Thank you, Lord Father. We do come before you. We thank you for scripture. We thank you for your word. Father, I ask as we've unpacked just this beautiful, familiar story that you've shown us something, that you've... Um, possibly shown us something new or just reminded us of something that you told us uh, months ago, maybe years ago. I thank you for the grace upon this church. We lift up the senior pastors of this beautiful church, um, Beck and Nate, Lord. Even as they're away, God, Father, we pray that you will renew them. We pray for vision, for passion, Lord. Father, we pray for their hearts, that, 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 that you are so beautiful in shaping and molding hearts, Lord. 
Father, we thank you for this congregation as they sit here and worship and adoration, opening scripture and, and reflecting on your word that even as we are here, you are working on their hearts. And next week when they come back, they may not know it, but they get new senior pastors because you're doing business with them, Lord. You're doing business with them, Lord. Father, we thank you about everything with this church. I thank you for the name, Lift Church, a prophetic name, a prophetic name, a kingdom name, Lift Lift, lift, lift in such a way where they lift other people up, but in an even more profound sense, a church that is willing to do the heavy lifting of the kingdom. A church that's prepared not to take shortcuts. A church that wants to do kingdom in the way of the gospel. They want to do it the right way. Father, thank you for what you've placed here. How about you just keep your eyes closed and heads bowed? I'd just love to give an opportunity. Um, again, you don't know who I am. Feel free to stalk me on social media. If you're so, well, if you've got nothing else to do with your time, seriously. But you may be sitting here and maybe you haven't made the decision to follow Jesus. And something about shame does resonate. But you don't know that the blood of Jesus actually has come and cleansed that and Jesus takes that away. That he's removed our sin from as far as east is from west. I'm not talking about if you're a Christian and you just stuffed up today or yesterday. I'm not talking about if you're a Christian and, and the issue at hand is the renewal of the mind. That's a very different thing. If you're a Christian and we use this word sanctification where we are on this journey, this journey of assimilating into this freedom which Jesus has purchased for us this is a journey called sanctification I'm not talking about that because otherwise you'd be sticking up your hand every week and that's just not right I'm talking about you've never genuinely given your life to God you've never genuinely looked inside of yourself and actually had the courage to be honest and say I am a sinner I am a sinner and I know that I am not deserving of the love of God. I know the story of the gospel. I know this much that, 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 that by the end of it, the wrath of God either falls in hell itself or falls on the cross. But I want to take the cross. And Jesus speaks and he draws and he says, come. Come. The profundity of the gospel is that God takes the penalty that he himself must impose in order to be holy, in order to be just. And we as Christians, we're no better or worse than anyone else. We've just simply said, I've heard about the love of Jesus and I'm taking the cross. And my whole life is going to be shaped by the cross. My worship isn't 30 minutes on a Sunday, my worship is my response to what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. That I have been brought out and brought into a brand new family, adopted as a child of God. If you've never made that decision, I'd love to pray a short prayer with you. Um, I'm just going to ask you to quickly lift up your hand. If there's no one here, that's fine, we'll just move on. But if you know you need to make a decision, make Jesus Lord of your life. Just quickly lift up your hand, we'll pray.
beautiful. So, Father, as we close this service, I thank you for this church. I thank you for your grace on every single person. I pray that you would lift that veil over our eyes, that we would see the situations and circumstances that you want us to step in the gap to. Father, that we would be people who are so familiar with doing kingdom acts, seeing thy kingdom come, thy will be done, that we would take more seriously this privilege and this vocation as we stand as custodians of this sacred space where heaven and earth meet, where there is this thin veil, and that we will see more of your kingdom come into fruition in 2019 than we did in 2018. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.